And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. And what's the other good word we know that's Hebrew? Hallelujah. Amen. It's good to be here this morning in worship, and we thank the Lord for the uh, musicians who have praise team here who have led us to sing and join in the worship of sharing and exalting our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to take just a moment that we have to remind you of the transitional process that we have been working on and where we are in the process. So this morning we had our second listening session and immediately after the church service, if you'd like to stay, we're going to have our third and last listening session. Stephen already talked about it. There's no uh, fear to show up and, and ask questions and share with us your heart. We're asking questions about the church um, and why you're here and what we can do better. So we do invite you to come. Now, we were supposed to have it downstairs, but I think we'll just stay after the service here in the auditorium. If you want to stay, it'll take about a half an hour and we'll ask questions uh, for you to uh, uh, respond to and share with us so that we can learn how to better go through this process and uh, seek to find God's will and leadership for our church. So we invite you to stay and do that. Now, the second thing I want to tell you about the transitional process is that uh, we are going to have a church memories workshop on October the 31st, starting in the morning. It's in the bulletin. I think it's starting at actually eight in the morning because we need about four hours worth. And we want to invite the church to come and to memory, bring memories and ideas about what the church was like. We're going to go through a little bit of the history of the church through the eyes of Jesus Christ and have some discussions and talks. I think it'll be a very great experience for you if you put that on your calendar. It is on the calendar that we've handed out to you and you come and join together with us. It's, it's going to be a pretty fun time and another step in the process as we finish up looking at the ways in which God has led this church and guided this church in ministry. So we're excited about that. A third thing about the transitional process is that the nomination process for the transitional focus team has been completed and we're going through and looking at those uh, names that have been nominated and we've ranked them and this week um, my plan is to start uh, contacting those individuals and asking if they will serve so you may have been nominated and I may be coming to you now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Your church has put a great deal of faith in you. They think that you're a great person, uh, you know, and uh, they want you to be on this team and that you have a lot to contribute. And we're going to be going from now until July. Uh, the focus team is going to be important part, a very important cog in the wheel as we do the transitional process. You're going to need to commit to coming to the church memories workshop uh, hopefully, I mean, if you can't, that's okay, but then we're going to have two other big retreats or moments like that in the rest of the uh, nine or ten months. Uh, there'll be a, uh, a summary session and there'll be another retreat in the middle to do and work on the mission, the understanding of the church's mission statement. And then uh, throughout the rest of the months, there's going to be one to two meetings, uh, one meeting that may last two hours, um, that's it, or we might have two one-hour meetings. 
It may be that, but most of the time it's going to be one hour uh, meeting or two hour meeting once a month. So you'll have to commit to that once a month. And then, of course, there'll be homework. So you can take homework back and, and work on it. That's the transitional focus team. It's very, very important uh, because it leads us up to do our work, to discover uh, what the current reality is, the demographics of our, of our uh, places around us, this, our community. It also talks about church practice. It talks about biblical principles of growth. It talks about mission statement. Who are we and who we're supposed to mission ministry to or uh, witness to? All of these things are involved and you have been nominated because the church feels that you will make a great con contribution uh, to this work. It doesn't mean we're perfect or we're so highfalutin spiritual. It just means we're part of the body of Christ. And we want you to consider that if you're being asked, uh, that's it. I'll be contacting you personally. So don't run away from me if I call <laughs> and uh, we'll ask you to serve. So please be much in prayer for that process uh, of the transitional focus. This is where we're really going to get into the nuts and bolts and work on it. So is that all right? Say amen. Okay, if, even if you don't agree, it's all right. You said amen. All right, that means so be it. That's the truth. And that's the truth. So we're going to do it. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to do a little bit of a different thing. Uh, we're going to read the scripture each section as part of the message. So I'm not going to read it all at once. But this is an important part. Now, when I was 12 years old, uh, I lived in Baltimore City. I was actually born in South Baltimore, row houses. Uh, some of you may have heard the things going on in Baltimore. It's, it's a city. It's a pretty big thing. My father was pastoring an, an urban church. He was in the city. He walked to the church. It was just four or five blocks from the parsonage. I lived in the parsonage, and I grew up there from about, oh, I guess I was about three or four years old until I was 12 or 13, and then we moved to a, uh, my dad took a call to another church, but it turned out that Henry Street was the street over from Randall Street, and there were a bunch of kids over there, guys my age, and they decided to form a gang. They did, they started a gang, and so they got me and my brother, and we got involved in the gang. We didn't really do very bad stuff, but I think we probably would have if we'd grown up later with that gang. But it was a gang of kids, and we had an enemy. We had a couple of streets over, another group of kids, and you know what we did? We wound up fighting them. So one day I caught one of those kids right outside my door of my house and I was proceeding to beat him up pretty well, sitting on him, you know, and uh, using his head kind of to smooth out the concrete underneath of it. And just at that moment, my dad walked up and he's a pastor and I'm thinking, man, I am in for it. You know, every time the police came to the door, I thought it was they were after me, but Anyway, and my dad looked at me, and I'm sitting on this kid, and I'm about 12, I think it was 12 years old, and I'm looking up at him, and he looks at me as he comes home, I guess he was coming home for lunch, and he looks at me, and he says, Steve, have a good fight. And he walked right by me, went in the house. That kind of floored me, have a good fight. And immediately, of course, I let the kid up, he ran off, it stopped the fight. But that stuck with my mind for a long, long time, especially when I got to the Bible and began to reading things that Paul says, be angry and sin not. 
And I got to thinking later in my life about the fact that Christians, above all people, need to know how to have disagreements. Actually, Christians know how, need to know how to have a good fight. People disagree. That's normal. That's natural. But the way we disagree testifies to who we serve. And we either serve ourselves in sin and we fight like the world, or we serve Jesus Christ and we learn how to have a good fight. I think that's what my father said to me, what he meant, because I heard a lot of this stuff from him later as I listened to him preach. But being a believer in Jesus Christ means that we learn how to react to other people and especially to deal with emotions in a way that honors Jesus Christ. It exalts him. It, it praises and gives glory to God. And we become, because we learn how to have a good fight, a witness to the world, especially the world that doesn't know how to do it. So this morning, I want to give you five rules for a good fight. And the reason I'm doing this is because we're going to have disagreements. That transitional focus team is going to have disagreements, okay? The church has disagreements. We're human. We have differences of opinion from what color we put on the carpet or to how we go out and minister in the community. We're going to have some disagreements. So the issue is how do we resolve them and we need to resolve them in a way that honors God, in a way that helps us to grow in His grace and in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now this is revolutionary because most of the time we Baptists love to have those business meetings, right? I served a church where a deacon pulled out a pistol and shot another deacon. This church, I understand, was burned down because somebody was churched and didn't like it back in the 1880s. People, including us, don't fight well at times. But Christian believers need to learn how to do this. So this Sunday, five rules for a good fight, and they're scriptural. And then next Sunday, five more rules for a good fight. So there's 10 of them all together, but I don't want to burden you with all of them right now. I'm going to do five. Get through this five, and you're going to ponder and think about it, and then you'll be able to do it. So you can have a good fight, okay? A good disagreement, and we learn about it through the Bible, what God is calling us to be and do. I know you've heard it said that Christians are not supposed to fight, and becoming angry is a sin. In fact, we're going to read this passage. I invited you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If I didn't do that, that's where I want you to go. Ephesians chapter 4. And in chapter 4, especially verse 31, Paul says, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And even the book of James the brother of Jesus, and he writes, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. This is James chapter 1, verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So we've heard it said that Christians aren't supposed to get angry. But then Paul writes here um, in Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 26, he comes out and he says, and it's an imperative, a command, be angry 
And you've heard people say, counselors and psychologists, let it all hang out, right? Be angry. And apparently we've had no problem with that in our world today. You know, there's a lot more angry protesters, I think, than peaceful protesters. But Paul said, be angry and do not sin. So the question comes to us, how can we be angry and not sin? How can we see anger as an emotion that God gave to us and yet not use it in an inappropriate way? And that's the question I want to start to investigate today and next Sunday. So I hope you'll listen as we do both. Let's have a word of prayer real quick. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your precious son, Jesus, who told us to serve him and walk with him and follow his teachings. And ask, Father, today especially that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll learn about this and that we'll open our hearts to being faithful servants who know about anger, but also know how to avoid sinning because of it. We ask you, Father, for your help and your leadership and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to help us understand how to be faithful servants. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now I want you to know this morning that anger is an emotion. And God gave us emotions. They are God-given. Sadness, compassion, anger, frustration, etc., etc. You know what emotions are. They make our heart race. They get our mind all upset. And we focus on, oh, what's going on here in a lot of different ways. Fear, for example, makes us run, you know. You get afraid, the thing you do is you take off because that's what fear does. But they're all emotions. And we all have them because we're created in the image of God. That's one of the things that God gave us in, our, in being created. The problem is, is that we need a biblical doctrine of emotions. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, we actually have to talk about the way we are and how we handle these issues. Because somebody um, gets a little Italian in them and they start waving their hands and their voice goes up and all that, right? Other people get very quiet. So how do we do this as believers in Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible tells us that we are supposed to be a servant of Jesus and not a servant of our emotions. Jesus must be the Lord of our emotions as well as the Savior of our soul. Does that make sense? So that when we use emotions... We understand them for what God has given them to us for. And we don't let them direct our lives and manipulate us in a way that doesn't help our Christian witness. And this is why we need to learn how to have a good fight. Anger is one of those emotions. And anger can, can tear us apart. Or... We can use anger, as God has given it to us, to realize things are not right, and we need to work towards that to build each other up. Because that's the goal, to help each other become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Paul writes this in chapter 4, verse, uh, from verse 17 on, about life. It comes in and out, and we can pull it out of here and talk about it. But it's there in the scriptures. 
We have to be angry. We can be angry, but sin not. And we can put away all anger, the wrong kind of anger, and use our walk with Jesus to be a witness and a testimony. Here in chapter 4, in verses uh, 17 through 24, Paul talks about the old nature versus the new nature. And then in verses 25 through 32, he contains rules for the new life or how not to grieve the Holy Spirit because the Christian is supposed to live a life that honors God, that makes the Holy Spirit happy and not grieve it and make it sad. You know, this is very, very important for the church because not only I was talking about the transitional focus team, but also looking for a pastor or even working in the average day-to-day -day ministry of the church, we deal with emotions. And we have to ask the question, how do we deal with them in an appropriate way so that the emotions don't become the, rule us or become the Lord of our hearts? But emotions are part of that God-given way that we're made because we're made in his image. He loved us. Jesus died on the cross, not, listen, not because we're perfect. Far from it. Jesus died on the cross for us because he loved us and God made us in his image. Now, this is an important part I want to make. Each one of us, I'm not trying to be a psychologist here, each one of us have grown up with a human understanding of emotions and particularly sin and anger, but particularly anger, because our families have done it in a certain way. You need to realize that that family understanding that you have about what is right or wrong in getting angry may not be the kind of way that honors God. In fact, it probably isn't, and I'll tell you why, in every family, because it is in the world, there is sin. And by the way, you do know that if we harbor sin in our church, the church cannot grow because God will not bless it. If we harbor sin in our own hearts, we can't grow as believers because God can't bless us. So we need to recognize that sinners that we all are, chances are most of the things we've learned about emotions are based on the way the world does things, for good or for bad. And what we have to do is to come to the Lord, open our hearts off to him and say, Lord, teach me how to let emotions be there, but you to be the Lord of my emotions. Not me, not some way I learned it in the past, not because of somebody else, but the way you want me to learn how to open my heart and my life and give you who I am so that you can, I can honor you, I can lift up Jesus Christ, I can be a witness, and you can bless me so that I can give you glory and the world will see something different in me. The world needs to see the church getting angry with each other. I want to say that again. I don't agree with hiding anger. The world needs to see us getting angry with each other or individual believers with our spouses, our children, but they need to see us not allowing that anger to control the situation or to bring about the outcome. But recognizing that anger is an emotion that says something's not right, and then we make it right in Christ Jesus, in, through, and in, through the way he wants us to react to each other, have a relationship with each other. Do you see the difference?
The world can see us following their ways or they can see us following Jesus' ways. And Jesus himself and the disciples themselves talked about what was right to do. I'm going to give you five of those things right now. We're going to go through those as quickly as we can. We're going to do these five, but I'm going to tell you that this is one of those practice things. Just knowing this doesn't mean that you know how to do it. As a matter of fact, even when we know it, we go and we make mistakes. But listening to Paul here helps us to figure this out. Number one, don't fight like the world. We want to read verses 17 through 19. Therefore, I say and testify in the Lord. This is Paul writing to us. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live. We really don't want to emulate the way the world is. We want to emulate Jesus Christ. And you need to start thinking about that. Just because everybody else does it, doesn't make it right. You've heard your parents say that, haven't you? Well, as a Christian believer, just because churches and other people out there in the world do it, doesn't make it right. What does God say about it? Do not live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, they are sinners because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Folks, the world does not know the answer. Let's not take their answers that they don't know. Let's take the answer from the word, from the word of God, from God himself. Do not fight like the world. If you expect to have a, a disagreement and you've got to deal with each other, you don't want the techniques of the world. You don't want me sitting or somebody sitting on you and, ba and bashing your head against the concrete. That's not what the disagreement's about. That's not what God wants us. We can have a disagreement, but how do we do it? In the church, how do we have disagreements? How do we lovingly work with each other? Well, don't bring the world's way of doing things into the church. That is an important statement to make. Do not fight like the world. Don't go out and get your examples from the people outside. Emulate Jesus. Model your life after him. Listen to what Paul has to say. Listen to what the scripture says. Let the Holy Spirit open your heart to understand how God wants you to respond in these ways and these things. If you, if you write an email, put it in your draft and don't send it. And let God talk to you about it, okay? Or that resignation letter, put it in a drawer, file it away and let God talk to you about it before. All right, number two. Number two, be renewed in the spirit. Now I like this part here in verse 20 through 24. This is how we're supposed to. Notice in verse 20, the translators here say, but. You know what a but means? You don't do this, but you do this. All right. He says, but this is how you came. This is not how you came to know Christ. You didn't come to know the Christ Jesus from the world. You came to know Jesus from the Holy Spirit's conviction of your heart and from hearing the gospel. So you need to look to how to live in the gospel, in the word of God in the church as we seek to be servants of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And this is what he says, to take off your former way of life. That's like taking your jacket off, your old clothes. Take off 
your former way of life, the old self. Whatever you learned about how to be angry, get rid of it. Or how to fight. Take off the former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and in purity of truth. When we get saved, we get eternal life, and that's great, but we think that that's for heaven when we die. No, it's not. You're to be living in eternal life now with Jesus Christ by putting off that old nature, being renewed in your mind. You have a change of your mind. The Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, that's stuff of the world. You don't need to do it. Let's reject it. Let's return from it. And let's turn ourselves to Jesus Christ and put on the new creature that Jesus wants us to be. The Holy Spirit help for, help forms it in us and helps us learn as he teaches us to walk in the likeness of God, the real true likeness and image of God in righteousness, righteousness and in purity of truth. We need to be renewed in the spirit. You want to conquer anger, you want to conquer your emotions, conquer addictions, conquer problems, then you put them away and you turn to Jesus Christ and he helps us to become like him in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you need to be renewed in, in your heart. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Find him. You want to be able to live in a way that honors God? Find Jesus Christ and give your heart to him. Be sold out to him. You cannot be a fan of Jesus Christ. I'm a fan of the Chiefs unless they start losing, right? You know, you can be a loyal fan, but that's still not the same as being a disciple or a servant. You must make him Lord. And in the renewal of your mind and in your heart, you're going to find how to understand what emotions really are and how anger hurts when we use it in the wrong way, but how anger when we use it to recognize there's a problem and then to have a good fight, to do it the right way, we learn how God is glorified and how we move forward and how we, let's, uh, I should say it this way, how we mature. There's a whole lot of immature Christians out there. They don't want to learn. And they think they're more important when they need to recognize that Christ is more important and we need to be renewed by putting off that old nature and putting on the whole armor of God. In Ephesians 6.11, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil wants us to fight like the world so people think we're just the same as they are. And the Holy Spirit wants us to witness to Jesus. The way we can witness to Jesus is to give him our hearts and be renewed in our spirit. Number three, make sure the time is right. This is a big deal because uh, we, we sort of, emotions get us and we're like, ah, you know, ah, like that. And we got to deal with it right then and there. But we need to pray and say, Lord, you help me to pause, to think, to work through this issue and to see how you want me to deal with it. So Paul told the church in Corinth, but everything is to be done decently and in order. Uh, that word decently means to be correctly or appropriately. Not in the heat of battle, 
But after time has been spent to kind of cool down, the new self in verse 24 is the one created according to God's likeness. And God doesn't ever do anything out of time. So we need to make sure this is God's timing. Or even put it this way, is this a Jesus time? Would this be a time that Jesus would want me to confront this? And there's nothing wrong with righteous anger, confronting sin. Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple. But is this his time for me to deal with this issue? If I deal with it right now, it may mean that I'm letting my emotions control me and I'm not doing things in righteousness and purity of truth. So we need to learn to do this in God's time. Look in verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. I'm, I'm trying to say that because we're one of members of one another, we're part of the church, we belong to God, we belong to Jesus Christ, and therefore to have the disagreement, we need to make it God's time, not our time, right? So if you want to go get a stick and go out back and whack the tree for a while, don't whack the dog or anything like that. But if you want to get your frustration out of you, that's okay. But you wait until Jesus said, let's deal with this. Maybe you have a good friend, a neighbor who, or a believer in Christ, actually a mature Christian who's willing to talk to you and let you talk to them for a while and get your venting out before you kind of figure out what you need to do. Okay, if that's what you need to do, but make sure it's God's time. If it isn't God's time, if it isn't the time that Jesus would have us to do it, well, why fight? Why start it? It's not going to honor God. Number four, remember the only battle aim is deeper understanding. The only reason why we would enter into a disagreement is to understand better, not to... Listen, anything else you do is, is only sin. You want to win? Well, that's sin. That's putting yourself and your pride over other people. You want to dump on other people? You know, there are people who actually think that their self-worth is based on how many other people they can dump on. You know people like that. They get to feeling better because they have a scapegoat or somebody they can cry about or argue or diss. You know that word dis? It's a, it's, it's a word. You know what it is. You're, you're in the world. You hear people dissing each other, dumping on each other, telling that they are worthless people because it makes you feel better. That's wrong. God created us in his image. Each one of us is precious to God. I'll talk to you about that in a few minutes. But here's the point. Our only aim is for deeper understanding. Let's take a look at verse 26. This is where he says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because you, you, you're not in the purpose of winning by being angry. And don't, I like this verse 27, and don't give the devil an opportunity. You know, you can be angry, but don't sin about it. Don't let it control you because then the devil has the opportunity to destroy your witness, to destroy relationships, to break down your testimony and your walk with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. I have seen a, 
a prominent Christian person walk into a store and in less than five or ten seconds destroy their witness to anybody in that store within ear range because of their attitude in the way they dress down the store clerk. Do you understand that? When you give the devil an opportunity, what's at stake is your ability to witness in a way that is honest and true and loving to that person who also Jesus died for. And we have no right to dress people down or to call them idiots or stupid. In fact, for a while we banned the word stupid from my household when my kids were growing up. We have disagreements, we may be unique, but we're not stupid. God gave us life, and when he gives you life, he made you in his image. Listen to me, you don't want to give an opportunity. In verse 28, he says, let the devil, I mean, sorry, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do an honest work with his own hand so that he has something to share with anyone in need. There's a point here where he's just using the thief as an illustration. But then he goes on, verse 29, and this is important. No foul language, and he's not talking about chickens and birds. Foul, F-O-U-L, is not the other kind of foul, okay? My son asked me that one time. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Now listen, what Paul is saying here is use the right language. Use the right techniques. We're going to talk more about that next Sunday. But your purpose is not to tear somebody down. It's really to build someone up. Building up someone who is in need. And the whole purpose of our relationship with Jesus Christ is for Jesus to teach us how to live in a righteous and godly manner that honors him. So in turn, we can go interact and have relationships with others so we can be godly and loving and care that they can come to know Christ. They can walk with Jesus. They can see what he can do in their hearts and in their lives. If we don't do this, it tears down the church. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to struggle with what does God want us to do? But we cannot countenance sin in our lives by allowing anger to break relationships and to destroy those kinds of things. Disagreement and conflict is normal and natural. We are all unique individuals. Friction is God's way of reminding us to work to understand. Explosion Sometimes it's a signal for someone who has previous pain or hurt. Some do not know how to disagree. We can all do is watch television and the political battles that are going on. And we need to learn to listen before we speak. One of those big issues is that ad hominem argument where they don't have any good things to say about their own position. So they attack the other person and tear them down. Well, that's another issue. So we need to remember that our own reason, the only reason for having a fight is to understand. What is your position? What are you thinking? Here's my position. What you did, I didn't like. I could get angry over it, but I'm not. We're going to work together. I'm not going to let foul language come from my mouth. That's exactly what the world does. I'm going to try to build the other person up and understand them 
so that God's grace can come into our lives. That's what he says there in verse 29, so that it gives God's grace to those who hear. You see, that they basically see you as, a, as someone who knows how to fight in a godly way. Okay? So, number five, and this starts our ways of making sure that we are doing the right thing, is to never load your weapons with deadly ammunition. I saw a cartoon once where Dennis the Menace comes in and he's all disheveled. He's got a black eye and his hair's all messed up. His clothes are torn and his mother's like, Dennis, what happened to you? And Dennis says, you should see the other kid, right? I got it bad, but he got it worse. Well, we don't want to load our weapons with deadly ammunition. We want to be able to say and do the right things that honors God. Let's go to verse 31 here. Verse 31, let all bitterness, that's, that's ammunition, right? Bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander. You know, I haven't found those at a gun store, but they're in our arsenal. Slander, be removed from you along with all malice. That's, that's feeling that you want to destroy that person that they're not worth anything and they, they're just good enough to be killed, to be gotten rid of. Can you, you sense what's going on in our world today? I mean, uh, I hate to say this, but our president came down for COVID and how many Twitter accounts went out there? Yay, let him die, right? This is, no, I'm, not, I'm not talking policy. I'm just talking about human nature. We don't want to have malice. Somebody, something bad happens to them and we still... I was in a church and I resigned and I really tell you, one of the ladies got up and danced in the aisle. All right? We don't, we don't do things like that. We, we're not supposed to do things like that. We're not supposed to want the harm of someone else, even though we may disagree with them or not like them. Because you know why? I'll tell you why in just a minute. Anyway, oh, verse 32, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now you see, here's, here's the reason why. Because we don't deserve God's favor and mercy. He had every right to be angry with us and to destroy us. But he didn't. He gave us Jesus. And since God forgave us in Christ Jesus, our mandate, our purpose, and our mission is to forgive others as well. So there is to be no malice, no ammunition. You don't want to put in that buckshot of bitterness or that, uh, what's, what is it, the, the bullets that have the open end, they call them, yeah, hollow points of anger, right? Or salt your, your, your um, shotgun shells with wrath or shouting, or slander, all of that's to be removed because there's not supposed to be malice on our part. We are not out to destroy people. I know sin is bad and we like to see sin eradicated, but we are not to kill the sinner until we're not supposed to kill them at all because they're sinners. We're supposed to pray for them and, and give them to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know there's a lot of ramifications for all that, but the point here is simple. We're not supposed to use deadly ammunition. Deadly ammunition destroys. Godly ammunition would be prayer and love and compassion 
and support and encouragement. Those are the kinds of things that we could offer while we're trying to figure it out. What created the disagreement and how can we work through it? And that's what we're supposed to do. There's a story that's told. I can never find this story. I just know one, one particular gentleman wrote it up in a Bible study uh, commentary. And it was about a man by the name of Muretus. Um, M-U-R-E-T-U-S, Muretus. And he was, happened to be a wandering scholar of the Middle Ages. Um, and he was very poor. And he finally went to an Italian town where he took ill and he was taken to a hospital for uh, strays and waifs. It was for the poor. And the doctors came in and looked at him. And they were discussing his case in Latin. Now, the average person in Italy spoke Italian, which is somewhat like Latin. But Latin in the Middle Ages was a scholar's language, right? And they began to speak about him while he's there. You probably had people do this to you. They speak about you while you're there, even though you can hear them. But they were speaking about him in Latin, never thinking that he could understand so they suggested that he seemed to be such a worthless person, a wanderer, that they might actually just benefit from his death because they'd use his body for medical experiments. Isn't that nice for, for people to decide that? You're going to die, that's good, we, we can't wait, and then we're going to chop your body up and use it. But this gentleman, who was a scholar, looked up to them, and he answered them in their own Latin language, which he understood very well, learned Latin, and this is what he said, call no one worthless for whom Christ died. They were treating him as worthless, but Jesus didn't treat him as worthless. Jesus died on the cross for his sins. We are not to call anyone worthless for whom Christ died. They all matter. Well, gee, Jesus died for me. Yes, that's true, but he died for even the poorest of us the worst of us, he still died on the cross, that if they would seek him, if they would come to him, that he might save them and change them, and we would glorify God over that. So malice is to be put away. We, we don't need to think of people in categories, I like them, or those I wish would just go away, die, or end their lives. Have you ever heard of the Darwin Awards? Have you heard of those? The Darwin Award is given to that individual who by their death, accidental or otherwise, raises the IQ of the world after they're gone. Does that make sense to you? In other words, one of the guys that won was a guy who was out in a, in a metal boat in the middle of a thunderstorm, in the middle of a, of a lake, holding his, I don't know, nine iron up at the sky, daring God to hit him with, electric, with the lightning bolt which God did, and he, you know, his intelli the intelligent level of the world went up because that person died. That's what the Darwin Awards are about. Look it up. I'm not kidding you. They do, people do this. this. They do really dumb things, and after they die, they die, they kill themselves, but after they die, everybody's intelligence quota goes up. But, um, you know, we would think that's, they're, they're stupid, they're dumb, and we'd be happy if they died. But no, there's still people who died, for whom Jesus died. And they're hurting, and they have pain, and they have suffering, and we need to go out and help them. So Muratus said, call no one worthless 
for whom Christ died. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. When there's a disagreement, aim at the problem. Don't aim at the person. Build trust and learn how to love each other. Paul had already talked about building up the body of Christ. He wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another to build each other up as you are already doing. The key is found in verses 20 through 24 where we take away and put aside the old person, be renewed in our heart in Jesus Christ, and then uh, be put on the new man, the one that shares with the world the love of Jesus. The testimony that we should share to the world is how to disagree in love, how to build up unity in Christ. I may disagree with you, but we're both part of the body, and Christ loved the body, and he died for it. So we should be able to love each other as well and seek to solve the problem and the issue in a way that honors and glorifies God. We need to continue to love regardless of what other people do to us. Well, they may be nasty and stab us in the back, but that's okay. We don't seek revenge. We just love on them anyway and pray for them because they have a need to know our Savior. Let, us, let Jesus teach us how to be patient, how to, to uh, raise up issues if necessary to show tough love and hard love. But we need to put all things under the control and lordship of Jesus, including our words, our actions, and our thoughts. We need to be able to lay all of our emotions at his feet and ask him for forgiveness when we don't. And we need to ask others for forgiveness when we have not done the kind of good fighting that Jesus would expect us to do. James, as I mentioned earlier, wrote in his book, James chapter 1, verse 19, he said, my brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. What accomplishes God's righteousness is when you and I give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ to lead us every day and to give him our emotions so that our response to those emotions honors Jesus Christ and provides a witness to the world. If we want to grow as believers in faithful loving, that's what we're called to do. We're going to have a hymn of invitation, trust and obey, I believe. We're going to ask the musicians to come at this moment in time and get us ready to sing that. And here's my encouragement for you. Trust the Lord. Give him your heart. Give him your emotions. Give him the opportunity to teach you how to live in a way that exalts Jesus and glorifies God in the way we respond, not as the world does, having put off that old person, giving our hearts to Jesus Christ and all that we are, emotions and everything, then we put on the new man that God uses to glorify him, to bless us and help the world to see that their hope and only hope is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I'm going to be down here at the front. If you don't know Jesus, we challenge you to come and Ask and let us show you what the scriptures say. If you know them, but you're looking for a church home, we invite you to come as we receive church members. Or you may just pray to say, Lord, I've not learned how to fight very well at times, and I want to change so that in the disagreements I have and the relationships I have with others, I will be able to show Jesus because I give you my heart in Jesus' name. So let's stand and sing, only trust him. <clears throat>